Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Oh my gosh, I'm adopting a puppy right now, but I realize what's at home. Oh no, I have nothing. Well, except unconditional love. But yeah, no crate, no pee pee pads, no dental chews for his little puppy teeth. Before I doubt myself as a new parent, I just get Instacart to deliver everything from PetSmart. Easy, just like raising a puppy is going to be, right? Get Pet Essentials from PetSmart with Instacart. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum per order. Additional terms apply. Oh my god, that was very <laughs> uh something. Yeah, I gotta come in with the exuberance because I'm not feeling very exuberant. Gotcha. This is the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. I'm Janelle. I'm Vicky. Did that get your blood pumping? No. <laughs> Did you pump? I'm pump just the startled. <laughs> Sorry, I had jock jams oh, in my brain. <laughs> uh, well, welcome to the show, I guess. Here's a show <laughs> for your ears. Oh, yeah. Uh, we have a great show for you. Before we get started, we want to say a quick thank you to Side Street Studio Arts uh, for the, we just did the Dark Matters show. Mm-hmm. I think, I'm not sure if it's going to come out before or after this episode, but um, <laughs> either way, it was really, it was super fun. Always a good time. Um, so thanks for that, for that (laughs) and for ghostly podcast Mm -hmm. for doing our sound, which is always lovely to see, uh, see Pat and Rebecca, Mm -hmm. anything else off the top? We normally don't do stuff off the top, but I just didn't want to forget. No, you know, that was the one live show that we've had so far. (laughs) Don't know if we'll do another one, but you never know. (laughs) Well, then let's head over to the newsroom. So, our story comes to us from CBS News. I thought you said CVS News, and I was like, ooh. Um, Love okay. a good pharmacy. <laughs> CVS News. <laughs> uh, all the news about the ointments you could ever need. On a giant receipt. <laughs> <laughs> So a man named Jericho Labonte, 35 years old, was found on a yacht in the Columbia River, which is like through Oregon and Washington. Okay. Okay. Um, they had to <laughs> yachting in Oregon and Washington. He had to be rescued by the Coast Guard. Okay. Um, because 
he, I think, got thrown off the boat thanks to, like, some heavy waves. Turns out he had actually been wanted for leaving a dead fish on the porch of the Goody's house. That's a crime? (laughs) Well, I think it's... um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's like harassment or what, what the deal was, but it says he had allegedly left a dead fish on the porch of an Oregon home featured in the 1985 movie The Goonies on February 1st. Okay. <laughs> and then he stole the yacht. Okay. Well, that's the big one. He stole the, the yacht. Yeah. 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 Um, so then he stole this yacht and like went out into sea. <laughs> And was wanted on theft, endangering another person, unauthorized use of a vehicle, and criminal mischief. I think that might be the dead fish. Yeah, I don't know if that's... Apparently, he's also wanted in British Columbia on charges of criminal harassment, mischief, and failure to comply in an unrelated thing. going around leaving dead fish everywhere? I guess. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, so that's what's going on in the world. That's all you need to to care about. Okay. I saw the Goonies and was like, oh... Very interesting. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Weird choice. <laughs> <laughs> moving on to Netflix and Kill. I feel like because of what we're going to be talking about today. Okay. <laughs> I had the perfect choice. Mm, okay. Which is Pepsi Wears My Jet. <laughs> ah, I did watch that. <laughs> uh, which has absurd. Has been out for a little bit. It's mm-hmm. on Netflix. Um, so in the mid-1990s, Pepsi released this series of ads marketing their pepsi points promotion that was such a thing back then. it was coke points pepsi points marlboro marlboro like all the cigarette companies that's still a thing yeah but now they don't even advertise or market it no, because it was no. actually towards kids back then like oh, yeah. i had a marlboro sleeping bag and a duffel bag and a cooler as a child i had lots of stuff with camel joe on it how yeah. am i normal yeah <laughs> so they put these ads out and at the very end of the ad there is this little part where it says you can win a Harrier jet for mm-hmm. 700,000 points something like that yeah and a supposed astronomical amount right right mm-hmm. and this 21 year old business student John Leonard decides I'm gonna get that jet <laughs> Part-time scammer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he ends up getting this invest, like investment from a friend of his to like help him do this because they realize that you can actually buy the Pepsi points that you need. Yes, to get this for jet. a few cents. And he puts together this business plan, and Pepsi's like, "We weren't serious about this jet." <laughs> Mm-hmm. But they didn't have any disclaimer. No, not until after the fact. So yeah, when they added "just kidding" and mm-hmm. like changed the amount. Um, so anyway, there was a huge legal battle, um, and is now, this is like a case that's taught to legal students, Mm -hmm. um, about sort of misrepresentations and advertising and, uh, it's a very interesting documentary. It's like, and not Pepsi's first defense. Yeah. Yeah. And also they've messed up quite a few times. So, oh yeah, that's true. (laughs) That's true. Um, and can we also talk about the surprise cameo from Michael Avenatti? Cause like, I mean, I know dude had a life before, like, the Trump stuff, Mm -hmm. but it was just like, oh? (laughs) Yeah. just shows up out of nowhere? (laughs) It's very weird. But I thought it was really good. I mean. Mm -hmm. It was a little cheesy. Perfect for what it was about. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it definitely gave me that like um, McMillions vibe. Yeah, like where it was the um, the only thing though that I thought was kind of ridiculous is they had everyone try a Pepsi and a Coke, and no one really could figure I love out that. the Pepsi. Which one was Pepsi or yeah. Coke? I'm like, I I can a thousand pretend. Like tell the difference. Yeah. Like what, had, what the fuck I feel are you like talking about? It was about? like fifty fifty on like the people who couldn't. They were couldn't. also in a metal cup, which does change the flavor. But Pepsi's so much more sweet. Maybe I feel like it's been a while since I had a Pepsi. I it's don't really much drink a ton sweeter. Of pop. Yeah. Um. I just. Yeah. <laughs> I, but it. I kind of loved that too because it's very. I mean, the Pepsi Coke challenge. Like mm-hmm. that was another marketing thing. I don't remember who. I don't remember if it was Pepsi or Coke that did that, but. I don't know. I just, I loved everything about it. It was very fun, very nostalgic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All the it 90s was. flashbacks. <laughs> yeah, the commercials that they kept bringing up. I'm like, oh, shit. I know, I know. All the all the spokespeople they had. I was like, oh, yeah. Beyonce was a spokesperson for Pepsi, wasn't she? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Didn't remember yeah. that. Mm-hmm. I remember Britney Spears. <laughs> yes. Yeah, everybody. I mean, if you were the spokesperson for Pepsi, like, you made it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyway, it's called Pepsi Wars by Jet. It's on Netflix. Check it out if you got a little time. Drink a uh, Pepsi while you do it. <laughs> yeah. Or a Coke, whatever. Yeah. We don't tell you what to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is not part of the show where you say content may not be pro- appropriate for all listeners. Uh, this one this is super light. Pretty mild, to be honest with you. So probably just light profanity. Yeah. That's <laughs> As about always. It. Yeah, this is so light. Janelle, what are we talking about today? We had to be light after our episode yesterday where we talked about Oofa, all kinds of horrible things. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk about fraudy things. Okay. All kinds of fraudulent fraudsters who are frauding all over the world. Mm, my favorite. <laughs> this is going to be a blast from the past again because that's how I do. Same. Um, so let's get into the time machine. We're going to go all the way back to the 1800s. Oh, okay. Like way back, way back. <laughs> if you like American history, this is for you. If you don't like American history, take a nap. <laughs> Keep it on, but take a nap. <laughs> I feel very... We need them listens. <laughs> very indifferent. <laughs> yeah. Some of it's fine. I mean, some of it's like interesting. You, it's like, usually, I'm not into U.S. presidential history. Oof, but doofa, this... Yeah. Okay. It's an interesting aspect okay. of U.S. presidential history. I'm ready. I'm ready. So we're going to go to the 1870s when Ulysses S. Grant was the president. And the U.S. was in all kinds of fucked up fuckery because this is post-Civil War. Yeah. This is right as Reconstruction is starting to happen. Okay. Okay. Now, Grant became president in 1869. And, like, the country was an absolute shit because he was, like, post-Civil War president. And yeah. We all know how that what happened. <laughs> we all know that story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, also, at this time, there was a lot of financial insecurity, not just in the South, but as a country overall. We okay. owed a lot of people money for assisting with the Civil War, <coughs> France. <laughs> um, God damn it! Why do we owe it to France? <laughs> uh, France, Britain. Who else helped us? There's a couple other places that oh, helped yeah. us. The gold market was also fucked, which is what. Our dollar is backed by. Okay. Um, So there was actually a gold manipulation scheme happening at the time to the degree that it caused a stock market crash known as the first Black Friday. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Very first one. You know, it put us into a financial panic. So Grant's presidency was marred with all kinds of bullshit financial issues and fraud issues from the jump yeah so 
we're going to talk about the most important fraudulent happenings of his presidency. And then I'm going to tell you everything else. And oh, you're going to be like, what the fuck? How did this okay. guy become president twice? Okay. <laughs> I mean, I wonder that about a lot of people. Right? <laughs> Almost a third time. Oh, my. What? Wait, what? Yeah. They tried. This is before there were term limits. Oh. Term limits didn't happen until. That's um, right. Was it FDR? Maybe. Yeah, he's the only one that ran that for two. So late. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Wow. Maybe it was Teddy Roosevelt. It was one of the fucking Roosevelts. I don't remember. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> maybe it was Teddy Roosevelt. I don't fucking know. Uh, <laughs> now, during the Lincoln presidency, it was actually when this fraud started. Okay. So right before Grant, whiskey distillers were in cahoots with Treasury agents to cause a little mischief and mayhem. Okay, that's not where I thought this was going. Yeah, because okay. this is the 1871 whiskey fraud. Okay, <laughs> interesting. So, distillers and treasury agents were in cahoots, and the distillers were trying to get little to no taxes paid for their whiskey. They would bribe the agents with money, pay them 35 cents per gallon, and then the agents would stamp the whiskey barrels as full tax being paid. Okay. Now, they were supposed to pay 70 cents per gallon in taxes to the government. So instead, they would pay the agents half that amount, and they would just stamp it. Okay. As paid in full. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Now, we know that post-Civil War, no one was paying attention. So they were able to kind of do this with absolutely no repercussions like people were just bribing left and right oh it yeah was totally fine oh yeah um bribe everybody the group started to really pick up steam and rake in the dough by 1871 and then by 1873 they were a full operational crime syndicate close to the likes of like al capone kind of a situation okay members of the whiskey ring were bringing in anywhere between forty five thousand and sixty thousand dollars a year from the scandal wow um that's a lot that's a lot of money back then yes even more now yeah that's like some very rich stuff um (laughs) missouri revenue collector john mcdonald was actually appointed by grant himself and when he got into the position he was like all right let's do this bribery scandal he was totally fine with it (laughs) okay i guess right man for the job well grant didn't know Oh, there was a bribery scandal going on. So he's just appointing people to these positions. And when he got in there, people were like, yeah, this is kind of like a bribery situation. Are you chill with that? And he's like, yeah, totally. Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, So he actually reached out to Grant's private secretary, Orville Babcock. Unfortunate name. name. What Um, a name. And they worked together to make sure that everything was smooth and covered up and that nobody would find out that was higher up. Now, in 1874, Benjamin Bristow was appointed to Secretary of Treasury by Grant. Bristow was a former lawyer, a Union military officer, and he was, like, very, very eager to make a name for himself. He was actually one of the few lawyers at the time to bring a case against the Ku Klux Klan. Oh. Now, we're talking about, like, right when the Ku Klux Klan was getting full power. Good for him. Post-Civil War, like, burning down the South. It he was... also advocated for civil rights and free speech for African Americans, okay. specifically in Kentucky. 
Um, that was something he was working on as a lawyer before he was appointed Secretary of the Treasury. This sounds like I like this guy. He sounds like a decent human being. Yeah. Um, he drastically wanted to reorganize the Treasury Department when he got in there. He wanted to abolish corrupt offices, um, get rid of supervising architects, dismiss a bunch of the comptrollers and subordinates for insufficiency. He wanted to, like, clear it out. Overhaul, yeah. <laughs> So Bristow really shook up the entire Treasury Department, and he especially shook up the detective force and the Consolidated Collection District of Customs and Internal Revenue Services. Okay. So he was really, I feel like he'd be a man of the people now. He dismissed over 700 people in the IRS. Jeez. He was like, goodbye, (laughs) and got rid of 700 people. That's a lot. That is a lot of people. Yeah. So he really wanted to make things fair and have people pay taxes and all of that, but not unjustly look at people and yeah. more like organizations. Yeah, he would very much be a right? man of the people today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, in December of 1874, he wanted to send out agents to St. Louis to invest investigate some small treasury-based crimes that he kind of caught wind of. Now, in fear of being found out, Orville Babcock persuaded the Commissioner of Internal Revenue, J.W. Douglas, to revoke the order. So, right from the jump, it's like, that's a little suspicious. Okay. Like, clearly <laughs> they're trying yeah, to, like... Yeah, it's like a little too evident, sir. Yeah. yeah. Um, Bristow decided to figure out a way to do it anyhow. Okay. So, with assistance, he was able to get some informants into St. Louis to kind of see what the hell the deal was. Why was Babcock and this other dude trying to stop him from going to St. Louis? Yeah. The secret investigators reported to Bristow evidence of a massive ring of conspirators between revenue agents and whiskey distillers. (laughs) Okay. The informants came back and stated that whiskey was being labeled as other things like vinegar, Um, Things were being falsely recorded at a lower proof. Uh, Other things were not being paid for and being stamped. And every single thing was stamped by a revenue agent. So they know that somebody from the revenue agency was doing this. So it's not even just like the tax thing anymore. It's just like completely concealing. Yeah. What's it? (laughs) That's wild. Wow. Just trying to every conceivable way to get around paying anything. Right. Wow. Yeah. So they estimated that it had cost the Treasury millions of dollars in lost (laughs) revenue. Fuck. So millions of old timey dollars. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Whiskey's a big business. I mean, nobody wanted uh, to drink water back then. Yeah. Okay. Take that into mind. People were drinking whiskey instead of water because it was safer. <laughs> sure, 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 old type of people. Uh, Can't get dysentery totally from whiskey, can you? Well, I guess. Just I guess. the vomms. True. <laughs> now, in mid April of 1875, Bristow gave Grant evidence of the whiskey ring. Grant left Washington to attend a centennial commemoration of the Battle of Lexington and Concord. And hearing rumors of impending raids by Bristow, supervisor of the Internal Revenue, John McDonald, that old guy, okay. uh, who was in St. Louis, he decided to go to Washington, D.C. and kind of get out of there just in case anything was going to hit the fan. <laughs> yeah. Now, with evidence against him, McDonald broke down and confessed to Bristow. So that's one guy in the ring who's like, there's something going on. So yeah. with his confession, McDonald resigned on April 23rd. 
he returned to St. Louis. Um, and then Grant returned, um, and Bristow informed him of the full operation of the ring in person. So he's like, fuck. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oops. What do I do? Um, so Bristow suggested that Grant fire uh, Douglas for criminal negligence. And he was like, okay. That sounds good. So he complied. He fired Douglas on May 10th, 1875. Bristow started to conduct a series of raids across the nation to break up the ring. He started in St. Louis. So we have Douglas fired. McDonald resigned after confessing. And now they're trying to get the rest of the heads of the rings. Okay. By July of 1875, Bristow, with the assistance of Attorney General Edward Pierpont, were tasked with uh, chairing an anti-corruption team for Grant. They're like, okay, this is going to be big news. This is a national scandal under your watch. So they decided to put this team together to kind of be like, we had nothing to do with this, and we're going to break it up. (laughs) (laughs) Instant, like, just so you know, like, this wasn't us. Yeah, wasn't me. Oh, my God. Big shaggy vibes. Wasn't me. (laughs) Wasn't me. (laughs) Um, So they met with Grant to discuss Babcock, because Babcock also was found to have a little bit of a influence in this ring. My God. Babcock was actually very, very loyal to Grant. They went back all the way to the Civil War. They worked together. They were best fucking friends. Okay. Okay. Grant told Pierpont, let no guilty man escape. And he said, if Babcock was guilty, then it was the greatest piece of traitorism to me that a man could possibly practice. Oof. So, in October, Babcock was summoned in front of Grant, Bristow, and Pierpont at the White House to explain two really sketchy telegrams that were written, supposedly by Babcock, but signed SILF, which was an apparent codename, S-Y-L-P-H, SILF. Ooh, okay. Remember that for later. (laughs) Okay. The first message read, I have succeeded. They will not go. I will write you. And that was sent in December of 1874. Okay. The second one said, we have official information that the enemy weakens, push things. That was sent in February of 1875. Okay. So Babcock listened to this, read them. Then he pulled Grant aside and said a few things to him, which supposedly was an explanation. And Grant looked like he was satisfied. But no one else in the room heard the exchange between the men. Oh, my God. This is so – all of this is, like, so mysterious As. and backhanded and, like, oh, my gosh. Okay. So, Pierpont and Bristow insisted that Babcock send a message to the correspondents via telegraph in St. Louis demanding that this individual come to Washington to give his version of the story. They're like, okay, tell him to come here, tell us what you were saying, and we'll let it go. Okay. Um, so, he went ahead and started to draft a telegraph in the other room. But after Babcock seemed to be taking a really fucking long time, Bristow and Pierpont went in there to check on him and found that Babcock was writing a warning letter to revenue agent John Joyce, his St. Louis uh, assistant, I guess He's got no chill. He's like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. And he said in the note, be on guard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I bet it had to have been like total panic. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, so, God. Bristow and Pierpont were like, all right, well, we're going to have to fucking indict you on this conspiracy charges. This would make a really good movie, I feel it like. It really would. <laughs> um, so they indicted him on conspiracy to defraud the Treasury of the United States on November 4th, 1875. The trial was a little hectic. 
Grant appointed John B. Henderson as a special prosecutor in the investigation, hoping to kind of head off any um, criticism about conflicts of interest. Henderson was a former U.S. senator from Missouri. They worked together with the U.S. attorneys to start handing down indictments in the St. Louis range. In the St. Louis ring. Um, and he had no previous relationship with Grant whatsoever. So he's like, I'm going to pick a total rando and they're going to do it <laughs> so okay. that nobody thinks there's anything suspicious. Yeah. So the trial begins at Jefferson City, Missouri in 1875, October. The ringleader, John McDonald, was indicted immediately. <laughs> of course. Um, David uh, P. Dyer was the one who was really kind of handling things, um, and Henderson was, like, the head. McDonald was convicted, fined $5,000, and sentenced to prison for 18 months. So kind of a big deal. Uh, Revenue agent John A. Joyce, who was the St. Louis contact that Babcock kept talking to, um, was indicted, tried, convicted, and sentenced to the penitentiary. I could not find out how long he was sentenced to jail. Okay. Um, But it probably wasn't that long of a time. Yeah. But of course, Babcock, who was next in line for a trial, had the most interesting trial of them all. I can only imagine. (laughs) I can only imagine. On February 8th, 1876, Babcock's trial started in St. Louis. Okay. Um, It would only last 18 days, which is really short for this time period and the magnitude of scandal. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So Babcock's defense team was stacked. He had a former attorney general, uh, George Williams, a top criminal defense advocate and lawyer, Emery A. Stores, and a former appeals judge of New York, John K. Porter, on his team. And they were, like, wheeling and dealing and, like, trying to get him off. Okay. Um, they demanded uh, that the proceedings were only attended by a select few people because there was such, like, national coverage of this. Yeah. Um, people were actually, like, trying to get in to watch the trial. Like, there yeah. were lines out the door. So what they wound up doing was giving out tickets to people who could come in. And if you didn't have a ticket, you couldn't view the trial. Interesting. Like, there were just so many fucking yeah. people trying to get in there. Yeah. So, Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I, know, I mean, tickets. I know that yeah. happens still on some cases today, but generally people get in a line. I mean, it's not yeah. just like you get one, you get one, you get one, but like you have to go and stand in fucking line outside the courthouse to like mm-hmm. be let in. Yeah, so people were, like, trying to bum-rush the fucking <laughs> courthouse to get in there to watch the stupid-ass trial. They can't trial. stop all of us, can't they? Right? So they're like, if you don't have a golden ticket, you can't get in. So Grant actually gave written testimony from the White House for Babcock. He originally wanted to appear in person, but his team deemed that it was a really bad idea. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> it's like, um, hello. <laughs> Everyone's going to know where the president is. Yeah. That's and also, you guys great. are good friends. You're, they're going to think you're in cahoots. Oh, yeah. So Grant refused to testify against Babcock, despite having been informed by Bristow of Babcock's duplicity in the entire fucking situation. He's like, I... To decide to not agree with you on this, <laughs> like... Okay, yeah, okay, buddy. <laughs> so instead, Grant praised Babcock, saying he was a great confidant, he had integrity, he was, you know, just unshaken by how well Babcock worked. So on February 17th, the Grant deposition was read aloud to the jury, and I'm just going to read a small excerpt from it so you can kind of get an idea of, like, what the fuck is going on. <laughs> okay, okay. So... Uh, the two 
lawyers, Eaton, Cook, and then President Grant is who's going to be talking. So Eaton said, have you ever seen anything in the conduct of General Babcock or has he ever said anything to you which indicated to your mind that he was in any way interested in or concerned with the whiskey ring at St. Louis or elsewhere? Grant, never. Eaton, did General Babcock on or about April 23rd, 1875, show you a dispatch in these words, St. Louis, April 23, 1875, General O.E. Babcock, Executive Mansion, Washington, D.C., tell Mac to see Parker of Colorado, and telegram to Commissioner, crush out St. Louis enemies. Cook objected, and then they made that in the record. Okay. Grant said, I did not remember about these dispatches at all until since the conspiracy trials have commenced. I have heard General Babcock's explanation of most or all of them since then. Many of the dispatches may have been shown to me at the time and explained, but I do not remember it. Okay. Eaton, perhaps you are aware, General, that the whiskey ring has persistently tried to fix the origins of that ring and the necessity for funds to carry on political campaigns. Did you ever have intimidation from General Babcock or anyone else in any manner, directly or indirectly, that any funds or political purposes were being raised by any improper methods? An objection was made again, made in the record. President Grant said, I never did. I never seen since these trials intimations or intimidations of any sort in the newspapers but never before eaten then let me ask you if the prosecuting officers have not entirely correct in repelling all insinuations that you've ever had tolerated any such means for raising funds this is a very old-timey talk yeah uh, cook objects again president grant said i was not aware that they had ever attempted to repeal an any insinuations so what they're trying to say <laughs> Let me decode this Give me the, give me the TLDR on uh, the dub. So what they were saying is that they were raising all of these, all of this money and all these people were saving this money. And most of them are Republicans. And they stated that they were going to put some of this money around people who were running for offices mm-hmm. to continue their scheme and to continue having, you know, Breaks, government breaks, tax yeah. breaks. So they're essentially they, paying yes. off people in the Republican Party to yeah complete to their run, agenda, yeah. agenda when they're in office. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to okay. run under all the things that they wanted. Gotcha. So that's what they're trying to get at. Now, okay. Grant is a Republican. Okay. Okay. And I'll tell you a little bit about Republican history later on in this episode, but just keep that in mind. <laughs> okay. There's a really great uh, etching of the uh, trial, and you can see it's just like wall-to-wall old-timey men in oh, there. <laughs> After all the testimony was given and Grant said his words, uh, a few other former Civil War soldiers ta- kind of spoke on uh, Babcock's behalf to kind of say that he was a really great person. Of course, all those Civil War guys, you know, those vets are going to stick together no matter what. Yeah. So Babcock was actually acquitted on February 25th. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> However... In April of 1876, 51 days after his acquittal in the whiskey ring trial, Babcock was indicted again. Okay. <laughs> this time for his involvement in the safe burglary conspiracy. Oh, Jesus. This guy was like, please, I need all the fraud. <sighs> he needs to be all of so it. corrupt. All of it. So this was a corrupt building contractor scheme in Washington, D.C. Totally um, separate from the whiskey. Totally oh, different. <laughs> totally different. So how much time do you have? There was some some secret service agents working for contractors placing uh, damaging evidence into safes of a, a couple district attorneys who were prosecuting the whiskey ring. <laughs> what? 
So they were trying to put damning evidence into people's offices and their safes to get them to look like they're corrupt so that they couldn't participate in the whiskey ring. Like trials oh my god this is so convoluted it is so unbelievably convoluted on the night of april 23rd 1874 a bunch of hired thieves opened safes using explosives to make it appear that the safe had been broken into oh my god so one of the thieves then took fake evidence to the house of columbus alexander who was a citizen who was active in prosecuting the ring um the corrupt agents quote unquote arrested the quote unquote fake thieves who then committed perjury by signing a document falsely stating Alexander was involved in the safe burglary. Dude, so you're telling me this is just like the modus operandi for the Republican Party because like yep. wa- Watergate, you're you're literally uh-huh. explaining this to me and I'm just like, but Watergate, <laughs> the same thing yep. happens way later. Oh my God. <sighs> so <laughs> Babcock was involved in those two scandals And then information came out after he got arrested for this one that he was involved in a gold scandal previous to 1874, as well as a bribery scandal involving a customs warehouse in New York who was charging extra fees and pocketing them to store goods. Oh, God. So that's four separate scandals he's involved in. Can, (laughs) again, like, where do you find the time? To right? do, I can't How are you even, frauding so hard? I can't even not fraud. Well, there like, were no TV, no phones yeah, back then. True. What are you going to do but fraud? I guess. to fraud all the live long day. <laughs> <laughs> Sunrise to sunset. <laughs> We'd be frauding. Oh, my God. So on February 27th, 1877, after being acquitted on every single fucking fraud conspiracy... <laughs> Grant decided to appoint Babcock inspector of lighthouses of the 5th district, which is the lowest possible position a person could have in the government. Is it? <laughs> yep. Inspector of lighthouses. Of the 5th district. What is the 5th district? It's up towards the top of New England. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, my God. Now, both maintain loyalty and friendship to one another until the very fucking bitter end. That is why Grant appointed him the lowest position because he couldn't like push him out of his life yeah i feel like they had like more than a friendship you know what i mean yeah (laughs) i feel like maybe there was a little bit of manly love gotcha okay okay in 1884 babcock would unfortunately drown on duty when he was thrown from a boat in harsh waves wow dramatic yes Now, in 1880, McDonald, who was one of the people who was tried and convicted, wrote a tell-all book about the ring. McDonald accused Babcock of adultery and revealed the origins of his sylph signature. Oh, Are you ready for this? Okay, okay. The plot thickens. Yes. According to McDonald, when Babcock had attended the annual St. Louis Fair with John A. Joyce, the other guy who was convicted, they saw a very attractive woman while they were walking on Fifth Street, to whom Babcock nicknamed Sylph for her beauty. Although Babcock was married, he reportedly said to Joyce, she's the most beautiful and bewitching woman I have ever saw. For heaven's sake, let us turn the corner and meet her again so that you can give me the introduction. Oh, my God. Later at a restaurant, Joyce introduced Babcock to the woman whose name was Louis Lou Hawkins. And when they developed a friendship, it later became intimate, according to McDonald. Babcock later used the sylph as a code signature in correspondences with Joyce. Saucy! Oh my god. Okay. So not only is he a hardcore fraudster, 
He's, He's also, also a hardcore adulterer. <laughs> um, ultimately, of the 238 individuals indicted in the Whiskey Ring case, 110 would be convicted. Damn. And more than $3 million of stolen tax revenues were recovered. Wow. That's impressive. Grant's presidency was marred with tons of scandals. I'm going to read you a short list. Okay. The 1869 Black Friday scandal, the 1872 House New York Customs House Ring, the 1872 Star Root Postal Ring, the 1872 Salary Grab, the 1874 Breach of Treaty of Fort Laramie, the 1874 Sanborn Moiety Extortion, that's a hard word to say, the 1875 Secretary Delano Department of Interior Scandal, the 1875 U.S. Attorney General William D.O.J. scandal. Oh, my god! The 1876 Whiskey Ring. The 1876 Secretary Belknap's Department of War scandal. There's a man. He really <laughs> jammed a lot into his term. I'm not done. There's two more. <laughs> The 1876 Secretary Robeson's Department of Navy scandal and the 1876 safe burglary, safe burglary conspiracy. Wow. That is quite the record. Yep. And he had nothing to do with any of them. It was all people he fucking appointed. Poor guy. You know, you have some Poor shitty guy. friends, my yeah. dude. But yeah. also, what do your friends say about you? That's always the old True. saying. True. I mean. If you surround yourself with thieves, you too are a thief. <laughs> or at least an idiot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so after the whiskey ring scandal came out, the attitudes towards the Republican Party shifted and they were deemed corrupt and money grabbing. President Grant at the time was deemed one of the worst presidents. Now take it. Uh, he was only the 18th president. <laughs> worst one. Number 18. Well. And this. I'm, I'm sure. I mean. <laughs> It's been blown out of the water now. Right. But. <laughs> but this was actually the time when the Republican Party platform actually switched. <clears throat> okay. So prior to this, they were actually what you would consider a Democrat, a liberal. Yeah, it was totally flip-flopped back it in the day. It flipped right during Grant's presidency. Interesting. So this is when they started to become the party that we all know today. Ooh. Yeah. Oofa doofa. <laughs> and this is actually the time when the newspapers started really talking about Republican corruption. So yeah. you can thank President for Grant Grant for that. Thanks, Grant. Less than a year after Babcock died in eighteen eighty four, Grant was um diagnosed with throat cancer and passed away in eighteen eighty five. Bummer. And that is the story wow. of the whiskey ring and the most quote unquote corrupt, fraudulent time period of US presidential history. I not heard up of until it. then. Not heard of <laughs> any of that. But as you're talking about these people breaking into places, I'm literally like the parallels with Watergate were crazy. Yes. Um mm-hmm. I just nothing's changed in the old mm. Republican Party. Everybody be stealing paperwork and doing Scammers all kinds of scamming. <laughs> Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. 
Some places take you away. Some bring you together. Marathon does both. Marathon is Florida's family key with something for everyone. You'll find museums and wildlife refuges, wide open beaches, miles of warm, clear water, and the historic Seven Mile Bridge. For more about Marathon and the latest safety protocols, visit flakeys.com slash marathon. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So I decided to look this time at... Fr- frauds are really interesting. Because, like, there's some really small cases out there. Mm-hmm. And then there's some really huge extensive cases yeah trying to find something in the middle is real tricky (laughs) (laughs) but i managed to land on the story of sholem weiss and the collapse of the national heritage life insurance company oh life insurance yeah what a scheme i mean (laughs) (laughs) insurance am i right right why do we have it (laughs) why do we need it So Sholem Weiss was raised in New York and attended a Yiddish language yeshiva as a child. Mm -hmm. Uh, He didn't actually learn English until he was in his teens. What what year is this? Uh, So this would have been in the late 60s. Oh, okay. I was like, oh, this is early 1900s. (laughs) That's really commonplace. (laughs) No, this is like the late 60s, but it's like like (laughs) Orthodox Jewish New York. Mm -hmm. Um. It was a whole nother world. Right, right. Later, Weiss began working construction before buying Windsor Plumbing Supply in the early 70s at 20 years old. Okay. <laughs> Couldn't even buy a house at 20 years old. Yeah, right? <laughs> I, I don't want to talk about how millennials are yeah. fucked for all of eternity. It's fine. Now, according to the New York Times, uh, the Windsor was bringing in around $275,000 a year at the time that it was purchased, mm-hmm. but was doing... 20 million just (laughs) just over 10 years after Weiss purchased it. So he increased the business. um, That's a lot. 275,000 to 20 million. That is a lot. That is a lot. So obviously, like, he's got some business sense, right? Mm -hmm. However, soon after that, the company was facing increasing debt and bankruptcy, (laughs) essentially. Okay. And so just a few years later, it was forced to close. Now, Weiss, who had married and started a family in that time, moved the entire family to Monsey, New York, and eventually divorced his wife after they had been married for 14 years. Now, again, from the New York Times, this is – I thought this was kind of interesting. This is some rich people shit, right? Yeah. Quote, then a wealthy man, Mr. Weiss signed a separation – agreement that left his wife well provided for and included a proviso that he pay for a bar mitzvah and or wedding for each of their five children spending no less than one hundred thousand dollars for each event wow it's a lot for a bar mitzvah a hundred thousand dollars for a bar mitzvah yeah i can see a wedding yeah but a bar mitzvah (laughs) yeah 
For his next business venture, Weiss decided to sell his expertise in business by becoming a bankruptcy specialist (gasps) who would give advice to other businessmen. Peter Francis Jurassic. <laughs> I'm Peter Francis Jurassic. Oh, oh my God! Chapter eleven. <laughs> How funny is it that there are just certain things that will trigger these memories? Yes, Peter Francis Jurassic, oh. that motherfucker. Info tapes. <laughs> Call info tapes now. Pretty, pretty much that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was during this time that Weiss met attorney Michael D. Blutrich. Now, Bluetrich owned a topless club named named Scores. Okay, all right. That was controlled at the time by the Gambino crowd. I was going to say, oh, here comes the mob. (laughs) Mob loves a titty bar. (laughs) So that was controlled by the Gambinos. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was also employed as outside counsel for the National Heritage Life Insurance Company. Outside counsel, okay. Mm -hmm. Outside counsel. And with that, the fateful meeting of Weiss um, and this guy, this attorney, um, was on track to their future fraud together. Okay. <laughs> um, really Planning the fraud. His sort of yeah, first yeah. venture was uh, when Weiss attempted to defraud his insurance company by falsely claiming that more than $1 million in bathtubs had sustained damage during a 1986 warehouse fire at his company. Okay. Okay. Small. Uh, so in nineteen <laughs> in nineteen ninety four, he was indicted on various mail fraud charges and was sent to a Manhattan federal court for trial. Uh, during this trial, Weiss's associate Bluetrich actually attempted to like help him by going to the prosecution and giving them false information to try to like get him off the hook, but it didn't work. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And he received eight months in prison for fraud for that. Of course. By 1996, Weiss had been released and was living in a halfway house. He was able to persuade federal probation officers to grant him a four-day furlough so he could spend Passover with his wife and kids. Okay. Okay. Back when you could furlough the shit out of everything. (laughs) Right. Now, again, from the New York Times, quote, he persuaded Donald J. Trump's Atlantic City Hotel and Casino to fly him and a 23-year-old companion by Learjet to the gambling resort, where they stayed in a complimentary $700 a night suite and wagered $70,000. <laughs> okay. And so they were like, that's... Not what you said. That's not like, Passover. That's not, that's not Passover. That's how we gave you the That is the for. opposite of Passover. You're not supposed to do anything. So he was arrested. Good. <laughs> and he was charged initially um, and like was in trouble for this little stunt, but the charges were eventually dropped and he just like didn't get in trouble for it. Okay. That's very lucky. So now we're going to back up a little bit. That was kind <laughs> of the background on Weiss. Um, but we do need to back up a little bit in time to talk about National Heritage Life Insurance Company because there was like a bunch of shit going on. That name in and of itself just sounds like it's a shell company. Yeah, there was a bunch of shit going on before Weiss even like showed up in it's the It's like they just picked random names to name it. National Heritage <laughs> All of the companies that I'm about to mention are like that. It's just oh, like, God. let's smash words together. Just pull them out of a hat. <laughs> so this chunk of my research is mainly from this really great article. It's called Anatomy of a Failure by Sally Whitney. It's I'll put it in the show notes. Okay. What a title. <laughs> yeah. Um, and things are now about to turn into this very tangled web. So, like, okay. strap in. All right. I've got to put my thinking cap on. 
<laughs> so we're going to step back into the 1980s a little bit. Okay. National Heritage is – so it was chartered in Delaware, but the majority of their business is in Florida. As um, you do. With a couple other states. They sell life insurance. Yeah. What, it's it's also mean, probably a tax loophole. Delaware is a yeah. really big tax haven in the U.S. President Biden. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they were largely a Florida-based company that dealt in mainly universal life policies. However, by 1989, there was a drop in sales and the company suffered significant losses. Now, in May 1990... Sorry, the- it just came into my brain. It's like, ah, oh, people aren't dying like they used to. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> People aren't dying like I they mean, used ideally, to. ideally, they're buying well, the insurance policies before they right? die. <laughs> uh, so in May 1990, the Delaware Insurance Department began to become concerned about the solvency of Heritage and threatened to take regulatory action if they weren't able to acquire additional capital to like okay. um, make sure that they had these assets to... To actually pay out the life insurance. Right, yeah. right, right. Uh, enter three dudes, David Davies, Lambert Aloisi. Fake names. And Patrick Smith. (laughs) Fake names. Spelled with a Y. Smythe. Smithy Smythe. Smythe. Um, they were (laughs) the creators of Tri Holdings Limited. I'm sorry, Tri Atlantic Holdings Limited. Everything um, is fake in the story. <laughs> so they decided to – those are all their real names, by the way. I know. I figured as much, but they just sound just, perfectly fake. They do fake. sound – David Davies. Like, right? Yeah. I'm Janelle Janelles. John Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> they sent a letter as Tri-Atlantic to Heritage Heritage's parent company, um, LifeCo. So this <laughs> – all that sounds real. like an adult swim fake fucking company. Life Co. So they send a letter to this parent company saying they were willing to provide $4 million in liquid assets in exchange for a controlling interest in both Life Co. and Heritage. Okay. And shit at Heritage was getting real. I mean, it was like, we're kind of fucked without this. So they decided to accept the offer. Okay. Little did they know, these assets did not exist. <laughs> So liquid, they vaporized. (laughs) Don't worry. They're going to make them exist. (laughs) Okay. We talked about manifesting. They are just going to (laughs) manifest. Come to me, liquid assets. Um, So I might skip a few things in this because it does get kind of technical and right. like are we life insurance agents? No. (laughs) And there's a lot, there is a lot of shit like yours. Like there's a lot of just like random shit that's happening. Mm -hmm. So first, Davies takes $540,000 from a trust fund, one of his trust funds, and it was transferred to Tri-Atlantic. $525,000 of that was used to purchase $4.5 of U.S. Treasury notes on margin. What does that mean? I don't know. It's something with loans and... And having this capital guarantee behind yeah, I, I the government. Know. It's the government. Something about um, I got, yeah. I inherited notes. When I, was I mean, I had bonds. I definitely mm-hmm. got bonds. But like, I don't know. It's again, this is outside yes. some of my mm-hmm. scope. Um, so there's something that happens with using those bonds as assurance for a stock purchase. Okay. In I believe LifeCo, but in this sort of like 
insurance with the bonds, they didn't, they failed to note that the bonds were pledged as collateral for the margin loan with which they were purchased. Mm, okay. okay. You with me so far? Yes. Barely, but yes. <laughs> so then our old pal, Blue Tritch, mm-hmm. the attorney of the titty bar, <laughs> the attorney of the what? titty bar, um, <laughs> shows up into this whole thing. He opens up another account at the same bank under the name Capital Comparisons. <laughs> so many Fucking weird name businesses. <laughs> so then there is this money being wired between Tri-Atlantic um, and Capital Comparisons. It's like going back and forth. Um, and what ends up happening is that Blutrich shows up to the Tri-Atlantic Lifeco closing <laughs> of them buying the company with a check for $4 million. Yeah, okay. What? <laughs> drawn on his own account. Okay, at okay. this point, there was not there. There was only one million dollars in his account manifesting. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Truly, so what this did is because he showed up with this check. We all know how checks work. We do. <laughs> the closing. They completed the closing before cashing the check. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, but it allowed them to allow Tri Atlantic to immediately appoint Davies Smith and a. Aloisi to the board of both companies, which then allowed them to delay the depositing of the check mm-hmm. of the check. Otherwise, it would bounce so right. hard. <laughs> so then they did some more finagling and like <laughs> moving this money around, and the group was able to essentially purchase Heritage with Heritage's own funds. <laughs> And in the process, awesome. <laughs> write a check to myself for myself. Yeah. <laughs> and in the process, they reduced uh, Heritage's assets by $4 million. Hold <laughs> so, on. So it was just like, like, it's very, later they describe it as essentially a um, check kiting scheme yeah. where you're kind of like, paying it forward almost you're like using the money incoming to cover this thing yeah like a pyramid scheme yeah yeah yeah. you buy the product with your own money to hopefully make back the money that you spent on the product Mm -hmm. (laughs) so then they had to cover up this missing money Mm -hmm. um it's a blutrich davies aloisi smith and blutrich covered up this missing money by faking investments in various ventures and loans most of which involved companies controlled by these four guys Mm -hmm. and some of the other fraudsters um now the reason i'm not going into like every single that's just like one (laughs) piece of it that was very complicated um because by the time investigators like discovered what was going on there were at least 18 schemes that had their hold on heritage (laughs) (laughs) to just like they would be like okay so we started with this we need to cover up this (laughs) this money but then we need to cover up the cover-up and then we have to cover up the cover-up to the cover-up but then we need to cover up the cover-up to the cover-up to the cover-up like you know and it was just and so cover-up so steep yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like the russian nesting dolls of <laughs> so weiss actually enters the picture in 1993 when he joins up with the group of guys like perpetrating this elaborate check kiting scheme on a life insurance company. <laughs> Weiss used his company to purchase uh, completely worthless stocks and mortgages, providing Weiss with millions in his bank account okay. and just like sucking money from heritage. Uh, the group 
manages to make it appear as if National Heritage was able to get $126 million in assets for $18 million. Okay. Somehow. Creative accounting. <laughs> At some point, the U.S. Attorney's Office manages to develop an informant uh, within the organization who notified them about possible bad stuff going on. <laughs> <laughs> there's like do. there's some weird things going on. Um, by this point, the Delaware Insurance Department had also like started its own inspection. Like they saw some weird shit going on and were like, we're gonna start looking into this. And that's like the regulatory commission in Delaware mm-hmm. State. Um, so they started their own inspection of the insurance company, quickly finding out that something was up when no one could produce the documents that they were requesting. Of course. <laughs> the federal federal authorities began investigating national heritage eventually creating a joint task force in 1995 made up of the FBI and the criminal investigation division of the IRS that would look at this various players in this whole scheme across Arizona, Texas, Illinois, New York, and Florida. Okay. So it very quickly turned into a fraud ring of sorts. Yeah. (laughs) Now, during these investigations, uh, National Heritage was placed in receivership. And they eventually had to be liquidated in 1995. Now, there were approximately 35,000 policyholders, many of which lost their life savings. Oh, my God. In this. Now, they were able, I think in the end, they were able to recover something like $420 million of this and, like, did recoup a large cost to these people that had mm-hmm. these policies. Um, but not yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah. Now, Weiss was indicted on various felony counts, including (laughs) racketeering, money laundering, and fraud. The government did offer him a plea deal in which Weiss was – he would serve five years in prison in exchange for a guilty plea. Okay. Okay. Does that sound good to you or no? I mean – I'm curious what your take on this. What would his – what would have been the max that you could get? Well, let's talk about that. Yeah, I mean, it would depend on what the max is. <clears throat> so he didn't take the plea deal, mm-hmm. um, opting instead to go to the trial. The trial started in 1999. Both sides presented their case, and the jury heads off for deliberation. Then, on one Sunday in October, uh, Weiss shows up for his, like, normal pre-trial check-in. He has to do this because he's out on, on bond. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he completely disappears. Okay, well. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it was that would clear. throw a wrench into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was clear Weiss had decided to flee the country. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so now they're searching for this fugitive. The jury was still in deliberations. Like they are still continuing the trial, their mid trial. Yeah. They eventually come back with a guilty verdict. Mm-hmm. Um, Weiss was sentenced in absentia, receiving a total of 825 years in prison. Probably wouldn't have got that. <laughs> <laughs> like five years sounds pretty good. Yeah, I feel like th- that seems excessive, though. It is fraud. It is a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In comparison, um, Bernie Madoff received 150 years in 2009 after a guilty plea. He pleaded guilty, and even then, like people were like, "That's really excessive for him." Yeah, I mean, like, <clears throat> well, with his though, people like killed themselves. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So there was technically life lost. Yeah. Although legally, is he responsible for that? That is the question. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so the judge also imposed a $123,399,910 in fines. 
I feel like that's what you have to do when you're, you're dealing with fraud. Yeah. Is stick and, it with the fines real hard. And $125,016,656 in restitution. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah. And that. like not allow them to participate in any financial sector whatsoever. Right. You know, right. like really. Yeah. There was another case that I was looking at where this, the person got suspended, but they could like reapply for reconsideration after like five years or something. So, so I wonder if that's like the if if you have to like ban somebody, they can mm-hmm. re- apply again later. But even still, like, then at least you have the opportunity to say no. Yeah. <laughs> now, meanwhile, Weiss, who somehow I am sure through like offshore bank accounts and stuff still has access to millions of dollars. Yeah. That's the thing is like, yeah. that's how, that's what you really need to do is like yeah. get all of the assets they could conceivably have, right. even if it's offshore. Yeah. That's and that's you the really stick. That's to them. the tricky part too, yeah. is like the offshore bank accounts. Um, so he was fleeing across the globe with his 27 year old Brazilian girlfriend. Now, according to another New York Times article, quote, Mr. Weiss seldom stayed in one place using prepaid cell phones, mounds of cash, and a series of false identities to elude authorities in South America, Europe, and Israel. Now, of course, rich people are going to need rich shit. Yeah, they can't just live a normal mid-class life. Yeah, so he was like living it up in these fancy five-star hotels he was like still going out to fine dining um also partaking in gambling and prostitution while he was on the road as you do and authorities were able to track weiss down thanks to his brazilian girlfriend Uh oh uh she was actually they started following her because she was seen in san sao paulo um brazil Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so they followed her from sao paulo to budapest because she was going to Budapest via Frankfurt. Okay. Mm-hmm. So she was going to she was going to Frankfurt and then going to Budapest. However, when she got there, she instead decided to take a train to Vienna. And this is where like she met up with Weiss, who then took her to this apartment that he had just rented in Vienna. And so police show up to the apartment in Vienna, picked him up, arrested him. He in some of the articles they talk about him not saying like the first thing he said was not like, what are you doing here? Like, the first thing he said was, I want my attorney, which mm-hmm. is like, okay, yeah. you know what's up. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. So they were able to pick him up. They extradited him back to the United States in 2002. In total, three corporations and 13 individuals, including Davies, Smith, Bluetrich, and Weiss, were convicted in connection to the fraud and National Heritage is believed to be the largest insurance fraud in history. Wow. It's wild. It's a big deal. <laughs> now, as usual, if you thought that was the end of it, you'd be wrong. <laughs> now, like you, many people took issue with the length of the sentence. And just like I did, a lot of people compare it to that of Bernie Madoff, mm-hmm. um, who is like the other large scale fraud really in the U.S. that you can compare it to, right? Yeah. And 850 years is a lot because she essentially, for the charges, it was like 20 years um, separately fun. stacked. Yeah. So he there, – there was this like campaign to uh, get Weiss's sentence commuted um, and to get some sort of clemency. Mm-hmm. So, of course, he had many connections to um, like people in the political sphere – including Representative Sean Patrick Maloney, U.S. Attorney General Edwin Meese, 
former U.S. Solicitor General Seth Waxman and the infamous Alan Dershowitz. Mm, of course. Mm-hmm. Old Dershy. <laughs> uh, but it turns out that Weiss just needed to wait for the right guy to get into office. Uh-oh. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so through more Isn't connections. is the one that stayed somewhere yeah. in particular? <laughs> Through more connections, Weiss's plight made it to the ears of Mark Meadows, Mm -hmm. who was former President Trump's chief of staff. um, And he sort of like brought Weiss's case to Trump's attention. Mm -hmm. Then on his final day in office, on January 19th, 2021, Trump commuted Weiss's sentence along with 72 others with uh, an additional 70 pardons, if you remember that was like. I do, yeah. Big day. (laughs) I'm Big pretty sure I think that Bernie Madoff might have been in that. I can't remember if he was earlier or if it was during that round, but I don't recall that Bernie one. Madoff was also a Trump. Uh, you don't say. Hmm. Yeah. So weird how I he think, just is I surrounded think. by so um, many dirtbags. Also, bags. fucking Rod Blagojevich was a Trump. Well, yeah. What do you expect? Um, anyway, so <laughs> he, uh, when he was asked about why he decided to pick Weiss as somebody he wanted to commute, um, he said he chose Weiss because he was 66 years old and suffered from chronic health conditions. Now, if it makes you feel better, two months after he was released, he had a massive stroke. <laughs> I mean, it makes you feel better, yeah. but like, it's karmic. Yeah, it is karmic. Um, he did suffer a massive stroke. It was very serious. As far as I'm aware, he is still living it up somewhere. Um, hmm. I didn't see any reports of his death or like any major like health events after this like massive stroke mm-hmm. um but that is sort of the story about national heritage if you want to know more about the insurancy side of things that article um anatomy of a failure is that goes way more into like the specifics of how they moved this money around mm-hmm. and the mortgages and investments and whatever other mm-hmm. bullshit adult bullshit is yeah, like too hard for me too to hard, comprehend <laughs> yeah 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 so that is that's that's the story. Dang, makes you never want to buy life insurance. Right? I have life insurance to do work. It's and fine. Yeah, me too. Good enough. Throw me in a ditch, as I say. Just throw me in a ditch. Well, before you decide to buy life insurance. <laughs> before you thrust yourself yeah. into a ditch. Maybe check out this podcast. My name is Hunter. And I'm Haley. And we're your hosts of Murder and Such, a podcast about true crime, serial killers, and other dark subject matter. Join us while we fill your ear holes with some crappy comedy and disgusting tales. You can now find us on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and all of your podcatcher services. You can like us on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter. At Murder and Such. Hope to hear from you guys soon. Bye. Bye. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Well, Janelle, that has been our show. Ready for a whiskey and to go buy I'm ready some for insurance? A nap. <laughs> I'm ready for a nap is what I'm ready for. Right. Um, do we have anything coming up? Not nope. right now, right? <laughs> no. Yeah, we just had, same again, old, old. 
Thanks to Side Street Studio Arts um, for putting on Dark Matters and for Ghostly for doing our our audio. Uh, that was such a good time. It's always good to have yeah. a, a live show. Yeah, it's good. And we meet some new people, you know, yeah. some podcasts we haven't heard before. And yeah, yeah. Fun times. Um, all right. I mean, do you have, do you want to say any, any advice for our listeners? Like, do you have sage wisdom before we close? <laughs> Flee to the forest. Don't participate in society? I don't know. That's how I feel currently. Sure. On that Make note. weird stuff. <laughs> make, make weird, weird I like stuff that. and weirder friends. How make, about that? Yeah, that's good. Make <laughs> weird stuff and make weirder friends. On yeah. that note, our sound editing <laughs> is by Tiff Fullman. Our music is by Jason Zakshevsky, the Enigma. <laughs> this has been the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. We will see you in two weeks. Uh, goodbye. We bid you adieu. Bid you adieu. I bid you. See <laughs> you. <laughs> Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.